Support for Kansas City Today comes from Cleveland University, Kansas City. From its roots as a chiropractic college to new degree programs in health sciences, CUKC is educating healthcare professionals focused on next-level health. Learn more at cleveland.edu slash impact. Support also comes from Grandma's Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Tuesday, February 1st. Coming up, a conversation with Kevin Strickland and Ricky Kidd, two men imprisoned for decades for crimes they didn't commit. But first, some headlines. COVID-19 cases in Kansas and Missouri have declined from last week's peak, according to the New York Times data tracker. Kansas is now reporting almost 6,000 cases a day, while Missouri is reporting almost 8,500. Dr. Stephen Stites of the University of Kansas Health System says a decline in hospitalizations and deaths is likely to follow. If we can get people vaccinated, and if we can keep people trying to follow the good rules of infection control, I think we could be in for a pretty good spring. Stites said if a new variant of COVID emerges or if people don't get vaccinated or take precautions, that success could be derailed. Starting this March, northbound I-35 between 12th Street and I-70 in Kansas City will be closed due to construction on the new Buck O'Neill Bridge replacement. This will funnel more traffic onto I-670 and Highway 71 until December. Missouri Department of Transportation officials say traffic on city streets in the River Market and West Bottoms will also be affected. James Flum says commuters should visit the MoDOT website for maps and updates to know how to best navigate changes. The biggest effect that we see is not so much where it's at, but when it is. So the first couple days after we put a detour in, those are normally um, where we see the most congestion. The new bridge is scheduled to open to traffic in December 2024. A woman who once lived in Lawrence has been arrested for allegedly leading an ISIS battalion in Syria. David Kondos of the Kansas News Service reports. Federal authorities charged American citizen Allison Fluke Akron with joining and supporting the Islamic State terrorist group. Prosecutors say she began leading an all-female battalion in Syria in 2016 and even trained children to use assault rifles. The former Lawrence, Kansas resident also allegedly recruited militants for a potential future attack on an American college campus that never took place. In 2004, the Lawrence Journal World interviewed Fluke Akron about pulling her two children out of public school to teach them at home. She was brought back to the U.S. by law enforcement last week. Kevin Strickland has been out of prison for two months after serving 43 years in prison for a triple murder he didn't commit. Now 62 years old, he's returning and adjusting to a completely different world. KCUR's Steve Kraske spoke to Strickland about his new life on the outside. Here's their conversation, joined by Strickland's friend and fellow exoneree, Ricky Kidd. Well, Kevin, I, I guess the obvious question is, you know, how are you doing? Uh, you start with the tough ones, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not rested just yet. I'm not comfortable. Uh, it's, been, it's difficult. It, as you mentioned in your opening, uh, I don't have uh, identification, proper identification to move along as I possibly could. So it's a little slow. 
You know, Kevin, what you're talking about is the fact that after 43 years in prison, when you were released, the state of Missouri didn't give you a nickel. You came out uh, with no money in your pocket. I mean, it struck me just as a, simply an act of compassion that so many citizens reached out to you with donations to that GoFundMe page. Yes. And I, once again, I say I truly appreciate that. But I just thought about that yesterday, how the city didn't even uh offer me a place to live that uh, a side of compassion mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't have to, i said they could offer me they have land and uh property that belongs to the government that the city could say in good face here to kick Kevin Strick and go go sit down over here and retire but they they they, they haven't said as, as much as i'm sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> apologies yeah so it's 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 very disheartening but i have to move on and, and not look back and hold on to things that are negative like that and just try to focus on uh, trying to do things to make sure that this doesn't happen moving forward. Kevin, has that money made its way to you now? Are, are you, do you have some financial security behind you as you move forward? That's a tough question. Uh, y- yes, it's, it's been made somewhat available to me. I have to wait until I get paperwork. You know, I still don't have a social security card. So that's a yes and no answer to combine. Ricky, you know, listeners to this conversation might be wondering, you know, it's been two months since Kevin Strickland came out. Why is he still waiting on a Social Security card? Why are there these delays out there? You think there would be a rush to justice on some level uh, to help Kevin get started in his new life here? Yeah. From the Midwest Citizens Project, yeah, they have social workers who's really been working close with Kevin, making sure that uh, that time get cut into. But the reality is you're talking about four decades plus. And, 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 and for one example, um, they had to find his birth certificate. That was a, a struggle. Um, come to find out he was actually born on the Kansas side. So they was looking uh, on the Missouri side, but some of those nuances of being gone for 43 years would show itself. And sometimes it slows the process down. People don't recognize that, but it's not as easy peasy of just being free. It's, it's, a um, it's an uphill walk. So I can relate to that myself. Well, I wonder if we could just talk about the future for a moment. You've been asked so much about your past. Let's look forward. I know you're interested in a speaking tour called the Justice Where Are You Tour that will cross the country educating audiences, you know, about the issues of wrongful convictions and the solutions that might help. What do you want to tell people when you go on these th- this tour? What What's the message you want to leave them with? Well, me and Rick, for starters, aren't the first and last two. I mean, uh, this is something that's going on and and we need the people to get involved in it and pay attention to what's going on in the local trial courts and the, even in the prosecutor's office as the prosecution cases they are, they are prosecuting. The cost of a prosecutor's decision, that's the COP uh, a situation where Rick's already involved with the prosecutor's office. We, we have to bring awareness to how these things even happen and what we can do to prevent them happening from happening in the future. You know, Ricky, if I'm hearing you and Kevin correctly, the two of you believe one thing you want to leave with audiences, this is a far greater problem than most citizens are aware of. Yeah, uh, correct. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. You, yes, you have paraphrased that correctly. And I think your listening audience should really uh, uh, pay attention to that. It is far deeper than than the casual case, the casual Ricky Kidd case or the casual Kevin 
trickling case that we hear about. And it's something that we can do together. We can fix this problem. It's not a problem that can be fixed, but we're going to have to do it together. Kevin, you've said, and again, so understandably so, that you will always be hurt by what happened to you. Tell me about that. Is, is, you can't, that's something you'll never be able to get past. It hurts more, like right now, when you just reminded me again than it does whatever I just move on with my day. I mean, the constant reminders of it just dredges up the pain of it. I mean, I, I'm trying to fix my mind to forget it, just like I closed my mind out when I was there that I was there. And every time somebody brings it up to remind me, believe me, I know I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need nobody to keep reminding me. Yeah. Let me, let me try to move on. How did you navigate it? How, how, do you, how does someone who's wrongfully convicted navigate 43 years? Do you have a secret or do you just, just go through your days? Yes. And I'm telling this to everybody. I, I make light of everything. If you've heard me already, I've laughed and joked with you. <laughs> I had to laugh and joke my way for 43 years. Yes, I did. The yeah. TV, things I've seen in the media, uh, celebrity information, political information. I, I make light of it. I, <laughs> I laugh at it. Yeah. I laugh. Well, one thing you wanted to do when you got out was to walk barefoot in the grass out at Kauffman Stadium. And you got to do that at the invitation of the Royals. What was that experience like? And why did you want to do it? It was nice. And uh, why did I want to do it? Uh, I worked at that stadium when I was about 15, 16 years old, cleaning up after the games. And I used to be able to uh, get in and clean up the stands. And I could never get to the field. And I, <laughs> I was a small league player, ball player myself. And I always loved baseball and I always wanted to know what type of uh, field the fielders in the field were sliding on because they don't do that anymore like I did when I was a child. They would mm -hmm. dive for the ball. So I wanted to see just how carpety, how nice that grass was. <laughs> And I'm disappointed that Major League players ain't diving for balls and football players. I'm just disappointed. I'd, <laughs> I'd love to play it on that. And that's was crazy. Well, how did that grass feel when you were out there? Better than a carpet pool, you know, between my toes. Yes. Country. Hell country. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I, I was struck by the fact, too, that when you first got out, you didn't recognize so much of your own city any longer. Can you navigate around Kansas City now? Been lost about five, seven, ten times already. Wow. Had to call people to come get me. <laughs> 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 what changed the most? What what struck you the most when you first came came home? The highways, the byways, these roundabouts they have here that these little things are confusing. And uh just just the streets. Even the uh street that uh I left got arrested, wrongly arrested and everything on. That street has a hill in it now. It was flat. Earth. <laughs> it was flat earth when I left. It has a hill in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how much time I was gone to just earth and shift and put a hill in the middle of the road. I said I couldn't believe. That was KCUR's Steve Kraske on Up to Date, speaking with Kevin Strickland and Ricky Kidd. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. 
This podcast is produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more stories from Kansas City's NPR station, visit kcur.org or tune into 89.3 FM to hear us live on the radio. If you like our show, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Tomorrow, we'll hear how an unprecedented number of African-American leaders is changing government in Kansas City, Kansas. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.